Tonight I'm going to talk about capacity, emotional capacity, how big an emotional experience we can hold and still retain connection with ourselves. If we encounter an event that we have the capacity for, then we still have agency, we still can act intentionally, if we have chosen identity, chosen values, we can still live out those values. Um, but when an event is larger than our capacity, it overwhelms us. Some people get shut down. Some people go into like a, a stuttering, you know, I, 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 this, this is too much for me, you know, kind of thing. Um, often, often early childhood, you know, dysfunctional childhood subroutines kick in when we're completely overwhelmed. So, you know, anything about living out our chosen ideals kind of goes out the window when our capacity is is overwhelmed. And everyone's capacity is a bit different. Um, Hard to say whether there are temperamental differences, some people just naturally having a little more capacity than others. You know, just an ordinary life just builds capacity. You know, we're stretched in ordinary ways. Certainly, you know, at a job, at times the job will stretch you or ask you to think to do things that you're uncomfortable with, and then you get used to it. You know, a long-term friendship. You know, friends, good friends will challenge you in various ways. You know, certainly a romantic relationship will challenge you. Um, raising kids does a tremendous amount to build capacity because, of course, children uh, challenge you in a panoply and ever-changing <laughs> variety of ways as they get older. The way a seven-year-old challenges you is completely different from the way a 14-year-old challenges you. And so, you know, how can I say it? It's a very important topic, capacity, and it's not one that that's often talked about. I have a friend who, a few years ago, he said to me, "The most important question in life is how big is your capacity." And as I've been reflecting on that, I really realize how deeply true that is. Um, I can only live out my chosen ideals, whatever those are insofar as I have the capacity to face whatever life is handing to me. Um, You know, and capacity limits us in various ways. Uh, You know, sometimes I hear people say, you know, I'm not good at conflict or I don't like conflict, you know. Um, Conflict is often something that challenges our capacity. Um, Anger itself takes tremendous capacity to hold the full energy of anger um, and really to to use the energy of anger wisely. Um, You know, and if I get into a conflict, I don't know whether, you know, I'm going to have emotions that I don't have the capacity for, whether, you know, I'll trigger something in the other person, suddenly they'll have a reaction that I don't have the capacity for. So conflict can be, you know, if we are worried about our capacity then we shy away from conflict. But shying away from conflict is 
is not the healthiest way to go through life. I'll say also it's interesting that um, you know the Puritans who were who were around toward the beginning of this country, they they demonized anger and sexuality, which are are two radical expressions of vulnerability, and really two radical. Um, you know, radical ways that we might expand our capacity by exploring those those energies. Um, it's almost like Puritanism gave people permission to have small capacities, you know. And I think there are many people, not necessarily the people who come to a Monday Night Sangha, but I think there are many people in this society who do have small capacities. I think, you know, there are some people that who are overwhelmed just by the thought of having a conversation with someone they disagree with. You know, just that alone is overwhelming to them. Um, And there are other people that are just overwhelmed by the ordinary ups and downs of everyday life. And so, one thing I want to talk about in relation to capacity is trauma. Trauma is an event that wildly overwhelms our capacity. We don't have the capacity for what's happening, you know. And again, two people might experience the the same thing and one might be traumatized by it and one might not be, depending on their the relative size of their capacity. And I'll say that um, I think we live in a society in which many of us have had some kind of early childhood trauma. Because when we're, especially in infancy, it's kind of the nature we're designed for connection, you know. We're not, and we we don't have a very large capacity when we're first born. Um, And really there's been a... um, I would say over the past 200 years, a steady decline in the average quality of adult attention. Um, especially with the entertainment industry, especially with the advent of handheld electronics, um, adult, adult capacity for attention has declined. And for the child, um, well, how to say it? Attention is the currency of the psyche. Attention, see, attention is the lifeblood that sustains the child. And if the, if the caregiver is distracted, if their attention is unpredictable even, um, that can be traumatizing for an infant. I heard a stat the other day that just blew me away. They were talking about the leading cause of death from zero to age four. And I never would have guessed it. And I don't think anyone would ever guess it. You know, you might think accidents or gunfire or something like this. No, it's drowning. Which in so many ways is preventable. You know, and one of the things they were um, 
theorizing in this in this article about it is, you know, maybe parents go to a pool, let their youngster in the pool, and then get caught up in their phone, and they're not they're not attending to their child while their child is in the water or near the water, you know. That was that was just kind of shocking to me to find that out. And so capacity is both about our our ability to hold a large emotional energy out in the world, as well as to hold a large emotional energy within ourselves, to hold our own triggering, to hold our own trauma. Um, and obviously, the more I can hold in here, the more I can hold out there, you know, this sort of thing. And I'll say that I think there are many adults that have what I'd call a conventional level of capacity. In other words, they have the capacity to handle the ups and downs of their everyday life. Um, But then if something particularly out of the ordinary or shocking happens, they may not have the capacity for that. I think there's many times that people start out in, you know, in an unusual circumstance, they start out wanting to follow ideals of being generous or helpful or whatever. Um, and then they get overwhelmed and they can't sustain that, you know. I think that happens many times. So, so far, it hasn't been the cheeriest talk, but we'll get to the cheery part now. What can we do? Um, the good news is that we're 100% responsible for our own capacity. That is one of the most fundamental responsibilities in life, I would say. Um, and we grow our capacity by stepping into our edge, by facing what is uncomfortable by confronting what is uncomfortable within myself, by opening that uncomfortable conversation that I've been putting off with the other person, you know, all that is how we build our capacity, by voluntarily approaching what is uncomfortable, voluntarily risking ourselves in some way, you know. I think, you know, athletics is one way that people build their capacity, certainly by taking physical risks. Um... And I'll also say that it it's funny. I often distinguish between what I would call small-minded courage versus large-hearted courage. Small-minded courage means I'm going to be courageous up to the, what I think my limits are. You know, my mind is telling me what I think my limits are. I'm going to be courageous up to the, what I think my limits are. Whereas large-hearted courage is this recognition that probably I don't actually know my limits. Probably my limits are far, far more expansive than my neurotic brain is telling me, you know, and that that I really need to risk myself to find out my limits. I can't, I can't, you know, guarantee safety beforehand the way that my my neurotic brain would like to do, you know, this sort of thing. 
and it's really and this is Jung's insight that the the psyche is so compensatory you know just the nature of the psyche that if we have any pain any any dragon in the depths of our psyche we also have the capacity to face that you know we we wouldn't have the poison without the antidote you know this kind of thing um There's this wonderful image, and I've talked about this before, this wonderful image in from the Beowulf story. You know, Beowulf slays Grendel, and then Grendel's mother comes out of the lake and starts killing people, you know. The poet David White says, it's not what you fear, it's the mother of what you fear, you know. <laughs> um, and the only way he can fight Grendel's mother is to go down into the dark lake. And for whatever reason, you know, none of his men, like they're they're all like the bravest men around, but none of them want to go down on the lake with him. He has to go down alone. And he also has to take off all his weaponry and go down, you know, vulnerable essentially, without any weapons. And when he gets down there and he's in this ancient realm facing Grendel's mother, there's an ancient sword on the wall. And he takes that and he uses that to fight Grendel's mother. And it's almost like it, the myth is telling us we don't have the tools we need at the beginning of the conversation. We have to throw ourselves into the conversation, throw ourselves into the challenge, and once that we're there, we'll find what we need. You know, it's a very powerful myth. And really, the way that we we most grow our capacity is by being disciplined about being committed uh, to facing what is uncomfortable in ourselves every day. You know, it's, it's the, um, I often say, the, the deep, powerful, unsexy truth of life that what changes us most is what we do every single day without fail, you know. And if we're pushing ourselves toward our edge every single day, it won't make a, much of a difference over the course of, you know, a couple of days or a week. But over the course of years and decades, it will make a profound difference, you know. So I'm going to close with a poem about capacity. This is one of my favorite poems. And fortunately, it's not on the quote sheet. But it's a very short poem by E.E. Cummings. Mm -hmm. Love is a place and in this place of love move with brightness of peace all places yes is a world and in this world of yes live skillfully curled all worlds I'll share the quote sheet now Proper, proper hybrid adequate. Share it first with the, the zoomies. And then the roomies. Once upon a time, I got a lot of training on how to run a hybrid class years ago. 
So, uh, from the Buddha himself, we do not learn by experience, but by our capacity for experience. Emily Dickinson says, the truth dazzles gradually, or else the whole world would be blind. The great poet Tagore says, everything comes to us that belongs to us if we create the capacity to receive it. That's an astonishing quote if you really reflect on it. Everything that belongs to us comes, everything comes to us that belongs to us if we create the capacity to receive it. Richard Wilhelm in a, his commentaries on the I Ching, when a person has learned within their heart what fear and trembling means, they are safeguarded against any terror produced by outside influences. This is the spirit that must animate all leaders and rulers a profound inner seriousness from which all outer terrors glance off harmlessly. From psychologist Eric Fromm, well-being means to be fully born or to become what one potentially is. It means to have the full capacity for joy and for sadness, or to put it differently, to awake from the half slumber the average man lives in and to be fully awake. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, I have one talent, and that is the capacity to be tremendously surprised, surprised at life, at ideas. This, to me, is the supreme Hasidic imperative. Don't be old. Don't be stale. Thomas Merton said, By being attentive, by learning to listen, or recovering the natural capacity to listen, which cannot be learned any more than breathing, we can find ourselves engulfed in such a happiness that it cannot be explained. The happiness of being at one with everything in that hidden ground of love for which there can be no explanations. The writer Kobe Abe said, you wonder what's inside. You wonder if you can trust it. Flannery O'Connor tells us very matter of factly, truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Thich Nhat Hanh said, meditation can help us embrace our worries, our fears, our angers, and that is very healing. We let our own natural capacity of healing do the work. Ramdas said, the human heart has the extraordinary capacity to hold and transform the sorrows of life into a great stream of compassion. Compassion is the movement of concern and kindness in response to the difficulty of any living being. Compassion arises when, I, when you allow your heart to be touched by the pain and need of another. The Dalai Lama said, There is only one important point you must keep in your mind and let it be your guide. No matter what people call you, you are just who you are. Keep to this truth. You must ask yourself how it is you want to live. We live and we die. This is the truth we can only face alone. No one can help us, not even the Buddha. So carefully consider what prevents you from living the way you want to live your life. Sylvia Bornstein says, Mindful meditation doesn't change life. Life remains just as fragile and unpredictable as ever. Meditation changes the heart's capacity to accept life as it is. 
Norm Fisher said, real empathy requires that we develop the capacity to put our own concerns aside long enough to notice what someone else is going through internally without reference to ourselves. The energy healer Carolyn Mace said, we often hesitate to follow our intuition out of fear. Most usually we're afraid of the changes in our life that our actions will bring. Intuitive guidance, however, is all about change. It is energetic data right with the potential to influence the rest of the world. To fear change, but to crave intuitive clarity is like fearing the cold, dark night while pouring water on the fire that lights your cave. An insight the size of a mustard seed is powerful enough to bring down a mountain-sized illusion that may be holding our lives together. Truth strikes without mercy. We fear our intuitions because we fear the transformative power within our revelations. And this quote reminds me of that other famous quote by Marion Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is our power. Henry Cloud said, There is a big difference between hurt and harm. We all hurt sometimes in facing hard truths, but it makes us grow. It can be the source of huge growth. That is not harmful. Harm is when you damage someone. Facing reality is usually not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. Ben Oakry said, the most authentic thing about us is our capacity to create, to overcome, to endure, to transform, to love, and to be greater than our suffering. Mirabai Star says, mystics seem to have no shame about contradicting themselves left and right. They blithely proclaim that the cure for pain is pain. That's an actual Rumi quote. They blithely proclaim that the cure for pain is pain itself and that the cry of longing is the sigh of merging. That's because the path of the mystic reconciles contradictory propositions, such as harrowing sorrow and radical amazement, and blesses us with an extended capacity to sit with ambiguity, to treasure vulnerability, to celebrate paradox as the highest truth. Jason Mraz said, Transformation is my favorite game, And in my experience, anger and frustration are the result of you not being authentic somewhere in your life or with someone in your life. Being fake about anything creates a block inside of you. Life can't work for you if you don't show up as you. Hmm. Elaine de Bottom said, Maturity begins with the capacity to sense and in in good time without defensiveness to admit to our own craziness. If we are not regularly deeply embarrassed by who we are, the journey to self-knowledge hasn't begun. Mark Nepo said, Whatever truth we feel compelled to withhold, no matter how unthinkable it is to imagine ourselves telling it, it is not a way of spirit it is not to is a way of spiritually holding our breath. You can only do it for so long. And finally, Race Menekin in his extraordinary book says Each one of us can also build our capacity for genuine belonging.